Psalm 70 to the choir master of David for the memorial offering. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be put to shame and confusion who seek my life. Let them be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let them turn back because of their shame who say, Aha! Aha! May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. But I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. And Father, we cannot help but celebrate the truth of your faithfulness, the reality of your faithfulness. God, thank you that you are pouring out your love to us in an incredible way here today. And I pray that our hearts will be wide open, that we will listen to you as you speak to us, and we will obey and trust you because of your faithfulness. In Jesus' name now, we continue to worship. Amen and amen. Well, I invite you to open your Bible to Psalm 70 as we continue our journey through the Psalms. And um, man, it's just so great to, to, to see you here and joining with us in our time of worship. For those of you who are worshiping uh, through media, we welcome you and we thank you for joining with us as well. Uh, psalm 70 is an incredible psalm packed with so much power uh, regarding the faithfulness of God. In the year 2006, um, I was personally facing one of the most critical crossroads times in my life. Um, one morning, the UPS delivery guy left a package at my front door, and I went and I, I brought the package inside, and I had no idea who it was from. Uh, to this day, I have no idea where it even came from. But as I opened it up, I discovered it was a classic book written in 1992 by Richard Foster entitled Prayer. Simple title, awesome text, Prayer. So I opened up to the flyleaf of the book and I began to read in the introduction. And in the opening chapter, here's what he said. Healthy prayer necessitates frequent experiences of the common, earthy, run-of-the-mill variety, like walks and talks and good wholesome laughter, like work in the yard and chit-chat with the neighbors and washing windows, like loving our spouse and playing with our kids and working with our colleagues, to be spiritually fit to scale the Himalayas of the Spirit we need regular exercise in the hills and valleys of ordinary life. I believe that's why David could pray a prayer like Psalm 70. His normal approach to life was a constant, authentic, daily prayer life. Now I want you to think about that for just a moment. How much are you allowing prayer to be the driving engine of your life. 
That's what, that's what David depended on. In, in Psalm 70, we see that this was a, a normal MO for him. So when emergencies arose in his life, his natural default was to cry out to God. It was a normal pattern in his life. And so it was absolutely nothing unusual when he came to crises like he was facing in Psalm 70 and cried out to God. See, the best prayers, I believe, are the shortest prayers that get straight to the point. And that's what we have in Psalm 70. David cried out to God for help. See, there's a place in prayer for godly urgency. And that's exactly what David was facing when he wrote this prayer. He began and ended this prayer with the urgent request for God to hurry up and deliver him. So there are three things I want us to learn as we work through Psalm 70 and as we learn to cry out to God in this particular day, in this particular time, in the circumstances of our lives. So look at it with me as we just drive through this psalm now and, and unpack it. First of all, uh, cry out to God with desperation. That's what we see David doing in verse 1. Cry out to God with desperation. He says in verse 1, Make haste, O God, deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. David desperately prayed for God to save him completely. In other words, he was banking everything in this time of crisis on the urgency of this prayer that he offered to God. He says, Oh God, deliver me. This cry reflected the desperation of David's heart. You may consciously know this or not, but it's true that trouble is a part of the world in which we live. You can't avoid trouble. I mean, it's everywhere around us, whether you're rich or poor, educated or ignorant, young or old. We all must operate in this world of trouble. It's just a part of, of the fall of man. It's a part of where we are in human history. So trouble and prayer are like closely related. Prayer is of great value to a believer who finds ourselves in trouble. Trouble often drives believers to prayer, and that's a, that's a very good thing. You're, you're probably working through some kind of trouble in your life right now, or either you're working with somebody who's working through some kind of trouble right now in, in some sort of way. I received a text message just yesterday. One of our church members who was here in our service last week is battling with COVID-19, and it's spreading through his family, and he urgently was reaching out, sharing that he was taking it to God in prayer, and he wanted me to join him in that urgency of the prayer, not so much for him, but especially for the older generation in his family. Prayer is often the voice of people of God in trouble, as it should be. 180 years ago, there was a great prayer warrior named E.M. Bounds, and he said this, and I quote, Prayer often delivers out of trouble, and still oftener 
gives strength to bear trouble, ministers comfort in trouble, and begets patience in the midst of trouble. Wise is he in the day of trouble who knows his true source of strength and who fails not to pray. 180 years ago, nothing could be farther from the truth or closer to the truth than today. I believe that the key to the heart of God, to, the key to unlock the heart of God is prayer. And it's the resource that you have. I think about our students on our high school campuses and on our college campuses whose lives are so turned upside down right now in the normal activity that a student would be going through in college or in school. And what better opportunity than, than, than today do we have to access the resource to the heart of God that we have through prayer? David was desperate, and he prayed to God to help him completely and quickly. He says, O oh Lord, make haste to help me. There was no time for him to beat around the bush, and whether you know it or not, that is the urgency of our day to day. We're in an urgent day, and it's time for us to urgently plead with God to make haste and help us. I remember a year after we moved here to Myrtle Beach, one of our friends came to visit from Texas, and Marty wanted to go out deep sea fishing, so we went down to Myrtle's Inlet, and we uh, bought a ticket, and we went out on a, on a fishing boat. We went all the way out to the, to the Gulf Stream. We had a great day of fishing. On our way back in, we came upon this boat, which had capsized with two young women on the hull of that boat, and the current of the ocean was taking them straight out to sea. They literally were in a desperate situation. They had no hope whatsoever. They understood that they needed help. Trust has to precede faith. And David cried out to God, why? Because he trusted God. Rather than turning to his own phenomenal resources, of which he had many, he put his faith in a trustworthy God for help. He didn't trust his intellect. He didn't trust his wealth. He didn't trust his army. He didn't trust his power, his strength. He had all of that. But he didn't trust that. He turned to the true source of faithful help that he depended on, and that was God himself. What do you think some things are that even believers are turning to today in the time of trouble that we live? Are we trusting ourselves? Are we so smart that we think we don't need God? What about it, grandparents? What about it, parents? What about it, students? Are we trusting our intellect to help carry us through this time of struggle that we're living? Are we too blessed with the resources of this world to think that we can make it without desperately turning to God? Do we not recognize the desperation of the troubled times that we live to the point that we are drifting out into 
a sea, into a world around us that is doing nothing but taking us down to destruction. What if those two young women had refused to grab the rope ladder that the captain of the boat tossed down to them? It would have been fatal for them. I'm so glad that they recognized the desperation of their situation and they accepted the offer that this captain gave them to climb up that rope ladder onto our boat to safety and be brought back to shore. Recognizing the desperation of the situation is essential. And I don't want to be an alarmist today, but I'm telling you, we live in desperate times. But understanding that we live in desperate times, the situation is desperate, does not solve the problem. And that's why David went on in his prayer in verses 2 through 4. And I encourage you to join him to cry out to God with concerns that you have. Cry out to God with concerns. Look at verse 2. Let them be put to shame and confusion who seek my life. Let them be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let them turn back because of their shame who say, Aha! Aha! There are four strong verbs that David uses in this prayer against his enemies. Unlike the many times when David has often prayed for physical harm to come against his enemies. You know, he's, he's prayed, he said, God, crush them. God, knock their teeth out. God, let the sky fall. I mean, he's prayed those kind of prayers before, but, but not here. Not here. Here he prays for the godless to be exposed and to be disgraced. What a great prayer. He prayed that God would let his enemies be put to shame from within. He wanted them to feel ashamed for wanting to kill him. He prayed that God would physically turn his face away from his enemies and allow the godless to be exposed and disoriented and discouraged. Do you see that in this prayer? He prayed for God to humiliate them and put them up for public display in their community so everyone would see how foolish they are. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that when the enemy was coming against you? Say, God, just call them out. God, expose them. God, humiliate them. So how are you confronting enemies that are running after you today? Are you even aware that there are enemies who are trying to take you down and destroy you? See, when, when you're pursued by enemies and you're desperate, you have the choice, rather than try to handle it on your own, to turn to God in prayer. And that's what this psalm is encouraging us to do. Your biggest enemy in this world today is not COVID-19. Your biggest enemy in this world is not the political system that's going on around us and the, uh, the, the, the disharmony in our country that's going on around us today. The cause for that may be the enemy, but the, the greatest enemy you have in this world today is sin. It's the same enemy that David had. In Genesis chapter 4, which is a beautiful story that's tragic, but Cain made an unacceptable sacrifice to God. He was angry that God had accepted 
his brother Abel's appropriate blood sacrifice and had rejected his garden variety sacrifice. And so in Genesis chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, the Bible says, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Friends, that's the same battle you and I have today. Again, no matter where you are, what stage you are in life, the enemy is coming after you, tempting you to sin and rebel against God and turn against God. Don't fall for that trap. Your biggest enemy, sin, is always crouching at the door. So you need to stay on the defense. Be specific in keeping your relationship with God the priority of your life so you can bring Him to your defense when you're feeling tempted to sin. Your godless enemy may be external, like dealing with the challenging finances of our time or challenging relationships or dealing with injustice or prejudice or being overwhelmed with success. Your godless enemy may be internal, like dealing with depression over illness of a family member or discouraging political and social events or dealing with something like rejection. I don't know what your enemy is, but I know this. I know this, the enemy is out to destroy you. The enemy is out to tempt you to turn your back on God and sin. And I challenge you today to join me in recognizing the godless enemies with a legitimate concern. Take those enemies quickly and completely to God like David did. Why would anyone, why would anyone beat around the bush when it comes to calling out to God, crying out to God in prayer? Why? There's no excuse for it. Are you so self-sufficient that you think you can handle all the concerns that are going on in this world on your own? Don't be so foolish. Are you afraid that God won't answer? Are you afraid that your concern is not big enough to bother God with. Every concern that you have, especially in the area of temptation to sin, is an area where you can cry out to God and should cry out to God. And when you do, look at what happens in verse 4. David says, May all who seek you, God, rejoice and be glad in you, God. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God, is great. See, faith in God in a crisis is grounds for rejoicing. And David recognizes that because God is in control of every concern that you bring to Him. You bring your concerns to Him because He cares for you. He loves you. And He's concerned for you. Your greatest asset in life is giving praise and glory to God in the middle of every concern that you have. Giving praise to God 
in the middle of a crisis magnifies God's glory and it also encourages you. When I give God the glory in seeking rescue from danger, you know what it does? It builds up my faith. And it also is an example for other believers around you to be strong in their faith. I remember 500 years ago today, I remember reading in history, I don't remember the event, but I remember reading in history. 500 years ago yesterday, Martin Luther marched up to the door at Wittenberg, Germany, and attached his 95 Thesis to the door at Wittenberg, to the church door. What courage it took, and what faith it took, for him to stand and proclaim that my faith is by grace alone, in Christ alone, by God's faith that he gives me. God's faith alone, God's grace alone, in God's gift to us, Christ alone. What a witness to unbelievers as well as believers. So cry out to God with desperation with all of our concerns. The last, of, the last part of verse 4 says, May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. Don't miss the message here because your greatest concern in life, just like David's greatest concern in life, is preservation. He uses the word salvation here. And that's a two-sided word. The word salvation definitely means from, from physical danger, but it also means from spiritual danger. Are you aware that, that sin is crouching at the door and your only salvation from sin is the gift that God offers to you through His salvation? Are you aware of that? Are you aware not only of your need for that great salvation, but the need of witnesses around you who can see God working in your life when you give glory to God in the midst of a crisis, when you cry out to God in the midst of a tragedy. And you bear witness to that with people around you who are far from God. What a witness to God's great salvation. So how can you celebrate God's great salvation today? First of all, I want to encourage you. Make sure, make sure that you know God personally because that's where salvation begins. Salvation begins with your receiving the gift that He offers of His great salvation. Know Him so you can trust Him. And then obey Him, obey His commands. That begins with the believer by coming into the baptismal waters once you've put your faith and trust in Jesus. You step into the baptismal waters and you say, Hey world, hey whole wide world, I want you to know that I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. That is a command of Jesus. That you publicly profess your faith in Him by going underwater to represent His death, burial, and resurrection for your sin. To represent the fact that you're dying to the old way of life and you're being buried to the old way of life and you're coming back up to walk in a new way of life. What a sign of obedience and celebration that you have publicly confessed your faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, here's, what, here's the way Jesus put it. Let your light 
so shine before men that they may see your good works, that they may see you crying out to God in your greatest time of need and glorify the Father who is in heaven. Every single one of us have that opportunity. And I pray like David, you'll be faithful to being that billboard for God's salvation that he offers to you and me through Jesus Christ, his son. And finally this morning, I encourage you to cry out to God with confidence. Look at verse 5 of this great short prayer. See, in the clutches of his cry for help in this great time of trouble, David did what? He revealed his humility. He modeled what it looks like to be humble. Look at the words. He says, but I am poor and needy. Now, David wasn't talking about his financial resources and the resources he had with people around him when he talked about being poor and needy, because he wasn't. What he was talking about was addressing his real need, his soul need. And he knew that he was poor and needy, and so he cried out to God to hasten to him and save him, help him. There are some situations that are urgent and need immediate attention from God. And David was at that point in his life. He did not lean on his own self-confidence. He showcased his God-confidence. And that's the opportunity you and I have today as well. See, there is no one who could rescue David from the clutches of his enemy like God. And he humbly admitted that. Believers today have access to God for every urgent need that we have. And like David, make crying out to God your first response and not your last resort. Always be quick to cry out to God for encouragement in your greatest time of need. It takes some humility to cry out to God and admit that I don't have the resources in my own strength to save myself. Fortunately, we, we have a perfect model in regards to crying out to God with confidence. In the New Testament, in the book of Luke, chapter 11 and verse 11, here's what the Bible says. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Are you aware that that can be the witness of your life as well? When you go through a crisis situation, when you are being attacked by the enemy, and you turn to God and cry out to God for help, you publicly display the fact that you are dependent on God to help you. You can be the same kind of witness that draws other people to God as Jesus was in this case in his life. His disciples didn't ask him to show the miracles that showed them how to do the miracles that he performed or show him how to love people like he loved people. No, they asked him to show them how to pray. Have you ever had anyone ask you that? Anyone in your family ever ask you because of the way they look at your life and see how you take everything to God in prayer. 
ask you to show them how you depend on God in prayer. What a great opportunity. What a great witness. That can be your legacy, just like it was the legacy of Jesus. So in the toughest situation facing Jesus, he modeled crying out to God again in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 39. The Bible says, And going a little further, this is in Gethsemane, He fell down on his face and he prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. It takes courage to pray a prayer like that. Let me, let me tell you why it took so much courage for Jesus to pray this prayer. It wasn't because Jesus was facing that he knew about in the next 24 hours of his life being flogged to the point where his presence was unrecognizable. He was beaten with a cat of nine tails by Roman guards in the most cruel way that a human being can be tortured. Then he had to take the beam of his cross and carry it up Golgotha's hill on his own shoulders to the point where his body collapsed. And Simeon had to pick up the cross beam and continue to carry it for him up the hill. He hung there on the cross with nails in his hand and in his feet. But that was not what Jesus was asking to be relieved from, from God. That wasn't the cup that he was asking to be released from. The cup that he was asking to be released from was taking on his own body, something he had never experienced before. And that was sin. He took your sin and my sin and the sin of every person that's ever lived on planet Earth into his own body. And that's the cup that he was praying and saying, God, if there can be any other way, let this cup pass from me. But, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Do you see the humility in that prayer? Do you see the power in that prayer? Do you see the opportunity that you can have that same kind of attitude in life when you come to a great time of temptation, a great time of struggle, a great time of pain, a great time of crisis. You cry out to God and you say, God, help. Not my will be done, but yours be done. Thank you for going through this with me. Thank you, thank you that I can give glory to you as you walk with me through this. Like David, we're back where we began with this psalm. Urgently, crying out to God. I encourage you today that unlike Cain, come to God on His terms. In John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Do you believe that today? That's where every desperate concern in your life can be celebrated with confident praise when you know Jesus, when you know Him as the way, the truth, and the life, you know Him as the way to take you through any challenge, any crisis. You know that He is the true and living way to God because He is God and He died and suffered to pay the price for the penalty of your sin. 
And nothing can take the price of your sin away like the sacrifice of Jesus. He sacrificed his life for your sins so that you can confidently put your trust in him because he is the only way to God. That's where every desperate concern in your life can be celebrated with confident prayer. And that is through the sacrificial blood of Jesus. A friend of mine recently died with a brain tumor. He had been an awesome pastor, an awesome friend of God. He was actually buried the same day that my brother-in-law was buried, back in July. The last text message that he sent was to a young businessman he had invested in through his counseling ministry. The very successful young man had been fired from his job because the company that he had poured his life into and worked so hard for had merged with another company and they no longer needed him in their business and so they fired him. They let him go. And here's what Pastor Fenton Moorhead shared to this young 30-year-old businessman. He said, you are once again about to enter the great adventure of pure trust, living on the sharp edge of uncertainty. Nothing quite like it. A daily dose of godly adrenaline to dare the unknown with confidence. Endings are beginnings. Light will reveal what you dare not imagine. How unfortunate are those who never face a crisis of uncertainty because they possess inherited resources like feather beds to cushion the fall. So prayer takes on a new urgency and boldness born of the Spirit demands yours and God's best. Wish all the past only the best and embrace the future. Today, and tomorrow belong only to God. I love you. The coherency of his brain after that moment of sending that text became so scrambled that he no longer could text message anyone else. But the power in that prayer is incredible. It carries the same weight as Psalm 70. See, it takes complete faith to desperately cry out to God in confident faith in the really important challenges and crises of life. So let me ask you this. A couple of questions. Do you have that kind of faith? Have you come to the point in your life where you need to cry out to God in desperate faith and maybe for the first time in your life, trust Him. Maybe for the first time in your life, Give your life to Jesus Christ, the way and the truth and the life, the precious gift that God offers every person. Don't go through another day without crying out to God for help. Would you bow your head and pray with me? And as we prepare to pray, let me just ask you a couple of questions. Have you trusted God by receiving the gift of Jesus? If not, 
Why don't you do that right now? Why don't you pray a simple prayer from your heart? And the words are not as important as your heart is. But just pray something like, God, I know I'm a sinner and I know I'm desperate. I know I need you. And like never before, in admitting that I'm a sinner, I believe that you did come to this earth and live as a man and die for my sin. And today I surrender my life to you by accepting the gift of salvation and by repenting of my sin, turning away from my sin and saying, oh God, I want the rest of my life to shine for you. God, thank you for every person who's prayed that prayer, both those right now and those sometime in the past. And I thank you right now for the opportunity for us to celebrate, to celebrate your death, burial, and resurrection by entering into a time of fellowship, communion with you. God, thank you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. You have in front of you or somewhere around you a, a communion cup pack, and I encourage you to take that right now. And if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, this is a time of celebration. This is a time that Jesus has invited us to remember what he's done for us. And so join me and take that bottom part of the tab off and take the piece of bread out and hold it in your hand. Just take that piece of bread and hold it, hold it before you in your hand. And, and again, I want us to take a moment and celebrate. So look at that bread, and as you, as you look at that bread, celebrate the willingness of Jesus to humble himself and become human flesh. Just take a moment and say, thank you, God. Take a moment and realize that this is real. That this bread symbolizes something that actually happened. God became flesh and lived among us. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. God, thank you for becoming one of us, for becoming human flesh and living among us. And right now, as we eat this bread, we celebrate. We celebrate your intentional act to become a model for us for living, both here on this earth and throughout eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you'll take the top of the cup and remove the label from the top of the cup. And again, as you hold this cup, I want you to join me in celebrating. Celebrate the sacrifice that Jesus made by allowing his blood and the symbol of his blood in this cup 
the symbol of this cup, of his perfect sacrifice to pay the debt of death that you and I owed for our sin. But he willfully sacrificed to take that payment for us. In 1 John, the Bible says, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The songwriter said, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So, God, right now, we join in celebrating the fact that You have invited us to life. You've invited us to move our life from death eternally to life eternally because of your sacrificial shed blood and as we drink this cup Lord we do so in remembrance of, me, of you celebrating the fact that you came and lived and loved and died for us in Jesus name we celebrate now Amen <music>